listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. I got a great guest today to come share his story about how he got into real estate at a very young age, has gone to various investments, some great, some not so great, some great lessons to learn from, has gone to be a great entrepreneur in real estate. Young guy, you'll see, see his name more and more throughout these next decades around Denver, currently developing some software to help kind of shake up the market around town. So lots of fun stuff to talk about. And my guest today is Zach Garfius. Zach, what's up, man? How are you? Not, uh, not much, Chris. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, you've been on my list to talk to you for a while, you know, talked in the podcast for a while, because you and I connected a couple of years ago, just randomly somewhere we chatted. I mean, you're, you're an impressive young gentleman. Um, so let's kind of just rewind it some, like you've got a lot of neat milestones, your story that I want to touch on because it's interesting and there's good tidbits for our listeners to take away as well. Sure. So what was your first taste of real estate? Good question. So when I was, I think 10 or 11, I was get I was getting my first taste of what it was like to invest in real estate because my neighbor um, actually had hired me as a laborer. So when I was uh, kind of in summer, in between you know school, I would go and uh, a couple of my buddies and I would just go and tear out carpet, padding, you know, get all the debris out of foreclosures that he would buy, and um, I got a lot of experience in seeing kind of what it was like to buy distressed property. So during that time, I didn't really think much of it. I mean, 10 or 11 years old, I was really just there for, for making 10 bucks an hour, which was awesome. But That's uh, good money for a 10-year-old. Right? It was pretty cool. It was pretty nice making making like 80 bucks on the day and you know, go and buy a video game or whatever you end up doing as a 10-year-old with 80 bucks. So yeah, I had a great time uh, doing that. I was able to, again, do it with buddies and get a little bit of experience of, of real estate. So that was kind of my first taste. Um, so, so at the time, did you kind of understand that, you know, from the high level, okay, he was buying properties, fixing him up. And did you kind of get the conceptualize flipping investing concept or were you even old enough to understand that? Good question. I did, I did get what he was doing. Um, and I knew that that was his source of income. I mean, obviously there was some, uh, level of understanding that I didn't have at 10 or 11 years old to understand that. And I did that for up until I was like 14. Then I started working at a golf course for you know, for the summers in between school, um, got raised up to like, to like 1250 an hour. So I was, I was really killing it at that point. Uh, no, it was cool. I was able to, um, to experience a lot from just kind of an outsider. And then when I got older, kind of into uh, high school, junior, senior year, that was when I really started to understand the concept of being able to make a living off of doing what my neighbor did. And he, he did, a, he was, he was great at what he did. Um, you know, and he had done it for what, 20, 25 years before, mm. you know, before he was hiring me to go and, you know, help out. And he was really just doing it to help me. Um, but during that time, you know, it was really interesting for me to be able to see that, you know, you didn't have to necessarily just go to, you know, a, uh, certain place and work for a certain amount of time to be able to stay alive and support a family. And, you know, growing up, my parents were in the medical field, so, they didn't have a whole lot of time. You know, they were uh, 7.30 out the door, 7, 7.30 out the door, come back around 6, 6.30 if there wasn't like a medical board meeting. So, you know, I got to see kind of the value of having time, um, not just the value of having money. 
And that was something that really drove me to want to dive deeper into the world of real estate. Sorry, this when you're in high school, you had that? Yeah. That, that's impressive. If you had the whole, like, you know, having the time perspective on there. That's, that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it was tough because, you know, when I was, when I was like, I don't know, in middle school, high school, before I had my license and able to drive myself, I lived farther away from my school than I was able to walk. There was no buses that would take me to where I lived. So it was kind of on me to, you know, go to the park. If I had friends going to the park, I would go with them. Um, if I didn't, you know, I had a good buddy of mine who was always there for me to be able to go to his house and spend, you know, a couple hours until six, six thirty when my parents was able to, were able to pick me up. So I hated, I hated that to be honest with you. I just really didn't like the idea of having to wait for three and a half hours every day mm -hmm. to like get picked up to go home. And that was like a real slap in the face like oh i don't have to wait 6 30 to get off work in the future if i take a little bit of a different route you know and my my whole uh family on my on my dad's side had like three or four generations uh that were all you know medical doctors or, or surgeons and you know i was like i was i was like i don't really want to do that um it's not even though it's kind of keeping it in the family as something that you know we've always done. I was like, I kind of want to just switch it up a little bit and maybe do my own thing. So, um, so junior year of high school, I ended up, um, I ended up working with a buddy of mine, one of my best friends. He actually never, he never even went to high school, but he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, really kind of a level-headed ground up guy who knows what it takes to, you know, to, to, to suffer and also knows what it takes to succeed and to thrive. And he learned that at a really young age, even younger than I was. And so he was kind of a, you know, I mean, he was a little bit older. So he was a mentor to me, even though we were around the same age group. Um, he just had, you know, he had been working on oil fields since he was like 17, you know, and he was making a pretty good amount of money, but he was trading a lot of time for that money. But nonetheless, um, we would have conversations every night on the phone about what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And a lot of the the communication that we had was around real estate and, and investment of real estate. But we knew that, you know, we were 15, 16, 17 at that time. And in order to start investing into real estate, we were going to need, you know, capital and some, I guess, some experience to be able to go along with that. So what we did is exactly that. We built a little bit of capital and we built a little bit, a little bit of experience. The capital came from, he was working as a, as a, uh, a prefabrication, you know, like a kind of a, a grounds guy uh, doing welding on oil sites okay. and uh, different things like that. So we ended up uh, partnering together and starting a prefabrication company. And that's called Matic, which is still around today. He actually runs that full time. And it's a very successful company. But at the start, it was, you know, really just him. He was the only person that knew how to weld. I was not a welder and I was also in high school. But I did have value in being able to go and find jobs and, you know, and creating work. So he was. So you're kind of doing the business development while he was fulfilling it. Exactly. I was sales and marketing. He was operations. It's a great partnership. It was a really good thing because it helped us get off this off the ground. You know, I was able to really kind of like dabble my feet into something that I wasn't fully aware of, while he was able to take on you know the other half of it that was based around the actual service, which was you know prefabrication, which I didn't know anything about. So you know, we took the money that we made from that. And we invested it into uh, into cars. We would buy cars from auction, 
And he also, and his brother, we, we grew up racing. Uh, I should have prefaced that. We grew up racing shifter cars. And they were like the top one and two in the nation. So I, I was always drawn to like the fact that they were, they were excellent um and and what they were doing and i knew that was going to be something that would stay with them forever so i was attracted to that and we've just been best friends just genuinely best friends and so all of those things together i was like okay you know we need to utilize the team that we have we need to use utilize the the finances that we have and at that point it was you know thousands of dollars and credit to be able to you know maybe buy a car and that at auction it was all cash but you know we would also go and, and get loans to buy cars and things and they would since they had the automotive background and, you know, we all raced together, but they were more so focused on the mechanical side. <clears throat> they would fix the cars and I would sell them. I would market them and sell them. So just was, like Craigslist type style. Exactly. Yeah. We would go and we would actually specialize in, uh, in, in like Japanese tuner cars. So like, for example, um, Mitsubishi Evo like evolution, like the older Evos. So you were talking over my head right now, but yeah, I understand, okay. well, I understand cars. I'll bring it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. so it was essentially is a, a a car that you know was produced out of Japan, and we kind of found that as our niche, right? That was okay. Like our, our single family in in like this area, you know, for uh, for real estate. It was like it was kind of like our niche, and we were buying those cars, flipping them, and you know making a little bit of money. But it was like it was kind of testament to the concept of making the cash to be able to invest in business. And then investing that cash into, you know, a potentially uh, valuable asset like a car. So I want to time out here. I want to ask you this question because, I mean, you know, you're coming back, you know, your, your parents and your grandparents, great grandparents have, you know, they're gone through multiple levels of college, right. very much a professional career. What are what are they saying to you while you're doing this? Because obviously they're seeing this. They're yeah. seeing you make money, yeah. you know, through a, a legal route. Um, <laughs> they didn't think so at first. They okay, I'm saying that's like, what were their thoughts on there? Because I'm curious. Because always, you know, there's interesting dynamics on there. Like you're sound very entrepreneurial, mm. and your parents sound, you know, just more traditional career route. Like, how, what did that feel like, and how did that come across to you as a, you know, what, 16, 17, 18 year old? Yeah, it was really hard. It was actually the hardest sale that I've ever had, and I've had some hard sales, but. The hardest one was selling my father on uh, letting me pursue my... And I, honestly, I was going to do it either way. I'm kind of a little bit hard-headed and stubborn when it comes to something that I believe in, mm -hmm. um, which I think is necessary to some extent. That all that has also bitten me um, in the past as well, which we can maybe talk about here shortly. But but yeah, as far as pursuing what I wanted to pursue and, and my dreams and my goals, um, it at the start, it was almost impossible to sway the decision of like, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do this, like, you're going to be all on your own, you know, because what are you doing? You have a potential to go to school. I was actually admitted to CU Boulder, um, and I decided to not go because, you know, I, I was very confident that I was passionate about what I was doing and that with that energy and the vision and the plan and the right execution, which I think are all the most important things, vision, plan, execution. Um, in that order? In that order, exactly. Vision, and, plan, execution. Yeah. I okay. Mean, it. Yeah, and we'll get into that if if you want to talk about that more. But I guess going back to swaying my parents, you know, in this traditional traditional uh, sense of how to go about life after high school, uh, it was really hard. It was really hard, and um, I would always, you know, we would be on the way back from wherever, you know, and I would be in like my dad's car. And I have like vivid memories of 
me being super excited, super energetic and telling him about these goals and dreams. And, you know, he's always been there for me. There's no question, but he was, he would always tell me to, to get real, you know, and to be realistic. Mm. And I hated that. I hated that. So like, it took everything that I had to prove him wrong. And like, in a loving way, you know, I love him and my, and my mom, she was always there for me. She was, she was uh, more so on like, whatever you do, I'm going to be there for you. My dad was like same way, but he's like, you know, think about what you're doing. You know, you could, you know, this is not safe. This is not traditional. And I knew all that stuff, but I was willing to go for it anyway. So kind of like my, my, my sales pitch was give me a year to prove myself after high school. And if it doesn't work out, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, then I'll go to school. You know, I'll go back to school. So that was kind of my, uh, and he was good with that. He said, yeah, I mean, or, or good enough. He was good enough. Um, it took, it took m- months, uh, maybe a year of consistent erosion of his thought process by my energy. Like I was eroding his thought process with my energy and it took a year of that to be able to be like, all right, go for it. And maybe he was just so tired of hearing me say this. He, he's just like, listen, <laughs> just go and do what you're going to do. I'm tired of this. So, so be, pers- be persistent. Persistence is key. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you had the entrepreneurial bug at a young age, you know, yeah. got a taste of real estate investing, got a taste of, you know, uh, car flipping and getting in the car industry right. new, or you, you know, at the time you knew going the traditional college route was not for you right. while having some, you know, counter thoughts from your parents. Yeah. And one of the things I got to mention in the intro about you, which I, I want to definitely talk about this story is that you were the youngest licensed agent in Colorado to sell a property. Yeah. And so kind of leads up there because that's, that's a great talking point because I imagine you're 18 and a couple <laughs> weeks or a couple months old. Yeah. So I think you have to be 18 and be a licensee in Colorado, right? right? Okay. So you're 18 and what's that? So we're 18 and how many months when you sold your first property? Oh, um, I was like fresh 18. I was fresh 18. I, right when I um, turned 18, I went to real estate school. Um, so that was kind of my college. I decided, you know, I don't want to go to university. I want to get licensed as a real estate broker. And I want to do what Billy does because Billy... Uh, sorry, who's my neighbor, Billy? My neighbor, I'm sorry. He's a fix and flipper? He was a fix and flipper. He's, uh, yeah, he's built a very successful uh, short-term and long-term, you know, a real estate okay. portfolio of investments. And and I had, a, I had and still have a ton of respect for Billy. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's invested into me personally. He's invested into my businesses and he's, uh, you know, he's been a huge role model uh, in my life. Because again, my, my, my mom and my dad, you know, and really the rest of my family was never super into hands-on investment. Like it mm-hmm. was, you know, they were doctors, they save people and help people and heal people, which is one of the most noble things that you can do in this life. But I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So, um, so I had to get that knowledge from elsewhere and that was Billy, um, someone who I, who I love, but anyway, so he, um, I knew that he was able to go to his son's lacrosse game, you know, or pick up his kids from school if they needed a ride or, you know, do these things that my parents wanted to do, but they just didn't have time. And I was like, okay, he has time. I want time. So how do I get time? I'm going to do what he does. And so my thought process was, I'm going to get licensed as a real estate broker, and I'm going to eventually start selling my own investments. And so that's what I did. It didn't go in that order. It wasn't that simple. But to go back to your question of, of what that looked like, I got licensed, um, took me, you know, however long it takes to get licensed. And once I was licensed, I 
interviewed, you know, uh, eight or nine different brokerage firms and tried to feel out where I felt the best and where I felt like I was going to be supported because you really need that. I mean, no matter how old you are, but especially being 18, you know, and getting into an industry that is foreign to you. Uh, well, mostly foreign. So, um, so I ended up starting with your castle and, uh, Charles was my mentor, Charles Roberts, who I love. He's uh, somebody who I'll, who I'll take to the grave with me. I, yeah, he was, he's always been there for me and I'll always be there for him. But he uh, he was really pivotal in my in my first transaction. Obviously, you know, so when so I was, he was your mentor here at your castle, because I mean, most brokerages, you know, your castle side, most brokerages, the first few transactions, a new agent does. You have a, a mentor mentor team. Yeah. He was your mentor to make sure basically a you don't screw it up. So there you know, no one gets sued. No one gets in trouble, but also make sure that you and the client have a successful transaction. That's exactly right. And, um, and fortunately the other side of the transaction was a guy named Elon and Elon, uh, who is, is another person who I have a lot of respect for because he was the listing agent for this transaction. I was on the buy side. Um, he was on the listing side and he could tell, I mean, I had a, I still don't have a super deep voice, but I had a, a pretty, a pretty like, <laughs> pretty light voice, you know, for compared to like maybe some forty or fifty year old dudes that this guy usually gets called from when he's listing the property. Okay. Right? So like he's like, okay, I can tell you're, you know, he didn't say this out loud. He was a really blunt guy, which I appreciated. But you know, he could tell that I was inexperienced, and you know, there's it's hard to hide that. You know, you can't hide behind a, a curtain when you're doing a, a real estate transaction. So he didn't take advantage of me. He actually helped me, which, uh, which in return, you know, my family actually does transactions with him today. Uh, and, and I hope that's some payback for, for him helping me out. But, uh, yeah, he's, so let, let's talk about that for a second. Cause this is, you know, I mean, you've been there, I've been there in, in previous businesses, you know, you're, you're, you're the young person, you're the fresh blood where you've kind of got that, the inexperience, right? you're young and a lot of that too is just mental game where he's like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, I'm 20 years younger than this guy. I'm 20 years younger than this girl. Like, you know, your, your own psyche talks against you. So you got a lot of that, that self negative talk on there, but the same time too, is you can also use it to your advantage because you do find people like uh, Elon, where if you are, you know, positive, you're eager and you have the right attitude, like people like they'll appreciate because like, cool, that reminds me of myself 20 <laughs> years ago or 10 years ago. And people want to have that reciprocal effect of helping you. So it can be a double-edged sword. So looking back, like, what do you think you did right as a brand new, you know, young agent, uh, you know, fairly new person in real estate, like, what did you do that sent that message to where someone said, you know what, like, rather than being annoyed by you, I actually want to help you because there's, hey, you're annoying and experienced or, hey, you're experienced and I like you. Yeah. And they always want that, hey, I like you and you're experienced. Like, mm-hmm. what advice could you give other people out Because we have a lot of listeners there looking to get into, you know, fixing flipping as a newer person mm-hmm. or as an Asian as a new person. Like, if you can rewind it, like, what tip would you give people? Because you obviously did something right. Yeah. And it may be hard for you to, like, put your finger on it. Yeah. Well, it's a really good question. I think it's a cocktail of answers. Um, I would say the first thing that's coming to mind is being genuine and, you know, having someone understand where you are. I think if you try to to fake where you are, um, it can come across as disingenuine and it's hard for people to enjoy helping somebody who they don't think is being authentic. I I love that answer. Yeah. Thank you. So I think, I think just being honest, um, I think knowing where you are, you know, like, just getting over the fact that you 
want to be the next Ryan Serhant, even though I'm, I'm not selling real estate uh, as a broker. But like, you know, that was like my intention at the time. I was like, oh, I want to sell a bunch of real estate. And like, that's, that's cool. That's motivating. And that'll get you to somewhere. And you may either stay on that path or make a pivot. And, and I ended up making a pivot. But, um, but I think being yourself, being honest with where you are and realizing that even though your dreams and aspirations are maybe over here, take a real, like the reality check and like, know that you're right here. And, um, and if you ask for help in a, in a genuine way where you're not necessarily asking for something, uh, with, you know, expectations, but more asking for something with like gratitude, I think that that will come back, uh, full circle. And regardless of what you're doing, if you're a broker or if you're a new fix and flip, you know, uh, investor or something totally different. I think it's the most important thing is to just be yourself. Um, make sure that people realize that, you know, you are where you are and that you would really appreciate if they could help you. That's it. So I, I think that's a, a great and very like honest um, answer and something a lot of people, you know, should focus on, especially like, you know, newer people, whether you're younger and experienced, like, mm -hmm. You know, be honest with people. Don't do the fake it till you make it because, you know, people who've been there and done that, they can usually see through that. Exactly. They'll and see right through it. One day or the other, it'll come out. So just, you know, be honest from the upfront. Mm -hmm. And uh, hey, you're going to still take your black eyes. You're going to get kicked in the gut. You will. But some people are like, you know what? Like, I relate to that. I like it. Okay. So getting back to the story. So you were. 18 a couple months. Yep. You closed your first transaction. Yeah. And how did you know that you were the youngest licensee? To actually close transactions, because that's, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I've been asked that before. Because Charles told me about this years ago. Like I remember when we, when we actually and I connected somewhere. Uh, you know, we talked, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, you know, this." You said it, and it kind of rings a bell. But Charles had mentioned at some point. But I remember not your name. But I remember the story, which is the youngest licensee, sure. and that Charles had mentored this person, which was you. Sure. Um. Yeah. No. So. Um. So the way I found out, I actually called. Um. Dora. And I was like, hey, um, I basically opened up a ticket with those guys and I was like, just doing some research. I was like, hey, can you search your database and find out, you know, if I might be the youngest person to have sold? I, I was I was genuinely curious. Like, there's not a lot of people because <laughs> the thing is, is like nowadays, um, you know, you'll go on like Instagram or Facebook and things. Right. And you'll see that there are people who are young, uh, probably like my age -ish now, and they're making videos um, promoting like sponsored videos, promoting like their course because they've, you know, they decided that, you know, they wanted to make a video, having people go from, you know, wherever they are and maybe skipping school, skipping college and getting into, you know, investment. And there's some people doing like e-commerce and different things that don't require a college degree. And there are people making courses around that. And when I was starting out, this was like eight, almost eight years ago, there was no course or like other people giving you the confirmation that like, if you don't go to college, you're not, you're going to be like, you, you could be okay. You know, it just depends on what you do. Like, obviously you're not going to be a neurosurgeon and not go to university, you know, like that's a given, but you can be a real estate investor. Or you could be an entrepreneur. You could be, you know, you could be a lot of things that don't require necessarily a degree. Um, but I didn't have that. Like I, I didn't have, like, this was a while before people started making these videos and promoting the fact that like you can be young and doing things that are not, standard for your age so um it was a little bit uh a little bit different to me and I, I knew that like there was not a lot of that going on really like anywhere like all of my friends were 
in school or if they weren't in school, they were doing kind of maybe a trade job or something like that. And I was just like really curious. Like I had like a, a feeling that I was like, I think that there's probably nobody else that's done this like at a younger age, just, just in general. So I reached out to those guys and they were like, yep, it looks, looks like it. And so that was kind of that. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like I was just, I just had a feeling and I wanted to check and they confirmed and yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's hard to do as, as a, you know, young new person in the industry. So kind of fast forwarding, because I've heard this actually from a couple people mentioned this, um, you know, you, you bought a property, I don't know if it was, a, I can't remember the details of foreclosure, seemed like a great deal, <laughs> but you're not being kind of second in line on the second position of mortgage. Yeah. Um, so kind of tell us a story about that. Cause I did a very poor job of setting it up, but tell us a story on there because, you know, it's a, you know, you took action, you invested, skipped some due diligence, but you learned from it. Like what happened? Yeah. So as I said before, I think the most important things for doing anything are like a vision, uh, a plan, and then execution. And if you compare that to a like an ice cream uh, sundae, the vision is maybe the ice cream, the or a banana split. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of different types of ice cream, even though I do love ice cream. Um, banana split, you've got your ice cream, you've got the banana, and then like, let's just say the chocolate. So the vision is one of those. The plan is one of those and the execution is one of those. So if you don't have one of those, then you have maybe ice cream with some chocolate or you have a banana with some chocolate or ice cream and a banana, but you don't have the chocolate. The point is, is like, it's very important to have all three. So what had happened was, is that I, I had a vision and I executed. I had somewhat of a plan, but it wasn't, it wasn't specific enough. Uh, let me rewind. So my first, my first transaction, uh, my first real estate investment was at auction. It was a different property than the one that you're referencing. Uh, uh, I had two, two partners, um, one of which, uh, so let me just restart a little bit more. When I was an agent and I got licensed and I sold my first transaction and there was like a little bit of buzz around the fact that I was uh, the youngest person to sell in Colorado, yep. that had attracted a few different investors and people who wanted to work with me because they saw, hey, here's a young guy that's trying to like, you know, carve his own path. Oh, I could totally say, yep. Sure. Like, young and I'm hungry. Young and hungry. And honestly, I would have done the same thing if I was them. I was like, hey, I want, I want that guy or gal on my team. So... Uh, so I had a few people reach out to me. One of those people is a lady named named Julie, and she uh, she was my partner uh, for for all of my real estate investments, and we'll be doing a lot more work in the future. Um, but her, and then also I wanted to include my my father. So he, again, like let me just preface: he was never a real estate investor. He was never really an investor of any type. He's a smart man. Um, he was a doctor. He was somebody who like cared for people and like, you know, and practice medicine, but he was not someone who was building passive income, you know, where when he's not taking care of people or, you know, practicing medicine, he's going to make money. He was worried about people not worried about really making money, which again, there's a, a book called like why doctors don't get rich or something like that. And it's kind of for that same reason, but you know, but I, I wanted to include him you know, and not because like I couldn't find somebody else, but because I wanted to help my family uh, and my dad build like a retirement plan 
which he didn't really have. Uh, so, so I got, I got Julie and then I brought together my dad. And at that time, I mean, I had a little bit of money because I had invested in cars and I had a little bit of money from like my previous business, the Matic, the metal fabrication, which again, my partner Austin is still running full time. Um, I had a little bit of money from that, but not enough to be able to go and say, all right, let's buy, let's, let's go three, uh, three ways and buy cash properties mm-hmm. and auction. So, so my dad and Julie, uh, put up the cash at first. I put them together. They put the money together. I was the sweat equity. I was doing the work. So they're the capital partners. You're the operations boots on the ground. That's exactly right. So our first, our first investment, we ended up buying for like 148,000 ish. What year is this? This was like 2014. Okay. 15 maybe. But so 2014, uh, 2015, you bought this at the auction. Exactly. 148, I think is what we were in for. Uh, we put about 50 grand into it. I had to do all the construction work. And let me just say, I, I was not that guy. Like I had, I knew how to tear out carpet. I knew how to take, you know, someone's old junk and put it into a dumpster. But I didn't know how to set flooring. I didn't know how to like cut tile. I didn't yeah, know how to demo and that a little different. A little bit different. And not even <laughs> demo. I mean, demo is tougher than people make it look like on HGTV. They like, they like, n- like flick a, a stud and it falls over. It's not what it's like. Um, especially after 800 properties, which we can talk about in a second. But like the, this again, this is the first one. And I was like, look, I have, a, I, have a, I have a license. I have the commitment of doing all the work. Like you guys put up the money. Let's make it happen. Let's make some money. Yeah. And we did that, but it didn't go quite as smooth as, as you know, just a, a three second kind of uh, motivational idea. Uh, it took about three months. I was inside of this basement, you know, forever. I thought that the right way to do it was like buying a paint sprayer and like spraying this whole house, which it would have taken me probably like a week instead of like two months. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally doing this from the ground up. And like, that was my equity in the deal was doing the work. I was having a terrible time because I didn't understand how to do the actual application of, of the job. Yep. So I was doing everything from painting to framing to setting tile. Uh, While you're watching YouTube videos along the way, right? Honestly, that's another thing that I would say. Like, I, I was very stubborn and hard-headed. Like, I'm going to figure this out no matter what. I don't need YouTube. And like, that was one of the biggest things in my life that like, I, I would say to anybody else starting out, it's like, utilize resources there everyone needs youtube they're there for everyone needs youtube (laughs) resources are there for a reason and people have experience for a reason you know and you want to utilize experience people for a reason and sometimes if you don't have money or if you're trying to save money you have to do it yourself and that's fine but youtube is free and i should have used it but i didn't i was hard-headed and i was like i'm gonna do this no matter what you know i'm gonna cut my own tile like i don't care it's kind of good because I, i wanted to have like an unfiltered idea of how to do things like i wanted to be so so cutting edge and so like uh, so much of a uh i guess a doing i just wanted to do things on my own so badly i guess that i disregarded the resources that were out there for people that weren't like more experienced than i was which was stupid but that's just what i did um so i did all the work you know i, I had taken up all this like existing flooring that most likely had asbestos. (laughs) I just had no idea. I was like, you know, no mask, just some like, you know, 18 year old kid, like, you know, crowbar and hammer chipping away, you know, these asbestos tiles. Like I've been there and done that. That's no idea what the hell I'm doing, but I did it, you know? So 
So I did that. We ended up putting about 50,000 into it. It was like three months of work from the time that we bought it to the time that we sold it. De dealt with this homeowner, if she's listening. Um, uh, I hope she's found a great place, but she was really hard to work with. And that took a lot of time. But, uh, but we did work with her and we've always been super fair in all of our investments. And uh, yeah, it took like three months. We, it should have taken about one in reality with the amount of work that was in there. But starting from the ground up, it took about three times longer. Um, we put about 50,000 into it, sold it for like 275. So we ended up making like 75, 80,000, somewhere around there. Um, and you split that a third, a third, a third? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and, I mean, what, about 25 grand each? Maybe a little bit less after uh, some. Yeah, it was, a, I think it was right about that, actually. Yeah, a little, maybe a little tiny bit. A little more. bit less after some fees and transactional fees, taxes, costs. Yeah, transaction fees too. Well, I was the agent. Were you listing agent? Was listing agent. Okay. Exactly. So I was like, you know, I was able to pull some strings there. Uh, so, you know, that happened there, but, um, fast forwarding to this investment that you're, that you were referencing with the second mortgage, this was a, a later investment and it goes back onto the theme of preparing and planning. And like, I was so hard headed that like, I got a vision and I'm willing to execute. I'm going to get it done. So I wanted to go two out of three and get to the finish line. But in reality, like it, it can happen. But, but at some point, you're going to have to be forced to plan, even if it's retroactively. You got to plan retroactively, which is a problem, like especially building software, which we can talk about later. But um, with this first mortgage, we went to auction. We had a couple properties that we were looking at. Uh, we waited until the morning of auction to get O&E reports. So we did that. Uh, What's an O&E report for the listeners? Yeah, uh, owner and encumbrance report. So basically anything with the title, um, things that uh, we should essentially know before buying into a property. And it was a little bit of a rush, situ a rush situation. And so what had happened was, you know, the, the, the starting bid amount was $78,000. Uh, the ARV was like five twenty five. So we were like, oh, it's like this is great margin. Hot property. We're going to make maybe a couple hundred thousand bucks. This is going to be awesome. That was the thought process. Uh, we ordered the O&E report and it was a rush situation. That's kind of how a lot of uh, auction investors do it or did it. Nowadays, most of the auctions are online. Uh, before this was happening, this was all in person. So I'd be going to every, every auction, every public trustee auction in Colorado, like up in you know, Eagle County, all the way down here, Jeffco, Douglas County, Denver County, like all over, everyone. We'd just be there. And um, we put in a, a bid for that. We put in a, our starting bid for 78,000 and like, you know, one penny or whatever it was. Maybe it was just like the, 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 the starting bid amount, 78,000. We did that. Um, I was like, I was like running through this report. We had like three or four properties that we were bidding on. So like we had three or four reports in this morning and I had to like look through them. And the title company, they sent me, they sent me a, a list of documents that were not summarized in the way that usual O&E reports were mm -hmm. for me. So I had to like look at all these documents that were foreign to me. You know, like I wasn't a, I wasn't like a title executive who knew how to read through these. I wasn't like a, a mortgage, you know, uh, analyst. I didn't have any of that experience. So now. you're Russian, Russian looking at, you know, scanning documents, a PDF, not sure what you're looking at. Yes. There was like a 20 page document for this property and I'm just scro scrolling through it like, so it looks good at a glance. Looks, but... looks good. Let's just go for it. You know, let's just go for it. Turns out, uh, you know, they 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 called this property on Nickel Circle, 
and they're like, uh, they say their whole spiel, and they're like, all right, starting bid, $78,000 synergy investments. Um, I don't remember going once, going twice, sold. And I'm like, and you guys were synergy. Oh, shit. Excuse my language, but I'm like, what did we, what did we just do? Like, because no one bid, you knew like, oh, what we missed, room, right? We're in a room with people who want to make money buying distressed real estate, you know, where you buy on, you know, on the gap. We got 78525 There's a lot of money in between there that all of the people in the room wanted to make some money. Everyone's looking to make some money. We were the only ones that bid on it. So we're like, okay, we're either going to make a lot of money or we just did something that we don't know what we actually did. And of course, a lack of planning. We didn't know what we did. So what happened? Because I know you bought the place, yep. but there was another person in line ahead of you on the mortgages, right? Like what were the details? Like what happened? So the details. Um, uh, so the borrower actually of the first and second mortgage uh, of the home, the, the homeowner was there at auction. He was a commercial real estate broker, actually a very experienced uh, broker who had got upside down in 2008 with, with car washes. So he lived there and he was a very smart guy, uh, actually a very smart guy, but he ended up living in that property for like years without paying his mortgage. How you might want to talk to him about that. I'm not exactly sure what he did. He must've had a really awesome attorney or whatever the case they did. But I think it was that the release from stay from the foreclosing attorney wasn't being filed. I guess more onto the point of like what that looked like. So he was there. He came up to us after we bought it and was like, Hey, uh, I, I own, I, I own, you know, I live in the house that you guys just bought the second for. Um, can we meet? So we ended up setting up a meeting with this guy like the next day. And like, I knew there was problems. Billy, my mentor, who I mentioned earlier was at this auction and we were talking like, you know, two minutes before the auction started. And I should have told him what we were planning on bidding on, but I didn't, you know, and we, we were just talking about other things. He was there. I was with my partner, Julie. And um, you can't talk during auction. When they like start the auction, you can't talk. So he couldn't be like, hey, Z, like, stop, don't do that. Don't do that. He couldn't do that. Otherwise, he would have. Uh, and I'm glad he didn't because we made money. But I'll tell you the whole story. So Paul, uh, this, this guy was there. We were a little bit concerned because we didn't know exactly, you know, what was going on. I called Charles. Charles was like, hey, come on down to my office. Like, we need to talk about this. This sounds like a kind of a big deal. Turns out that uh, Charles was like, okay, I, like you're, you're going to need some help here. Uh, get in touch with John Goodman. John Goodman is actually a friend of mine now and somebody who I work with um, in different, in different uh, capacities outside of you know, law, uh, representing, you know, me, but he, uh, he was, that's when I first met him. And, uh, and my, 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 my dad was one of my partners and then my, and then my partner, Julie, we went up to his office in Boulder and we were like, Hey, like, we're in a really tough spot. What do we do? And this was such a crazy situation. The circumstances were so one-off in every way that there was no clear, like, Hey, this is what I would do. If I were you, here's what you should do. It was like, yeah, you're probably screwed no matter what. So what had happened was there was like five liens on this house. There was, you know, you name it. There was like tax lien, HOA lien, um, child support lien, like, yeah. Oh, wow. You I had mean, the buffet against you. You name it. Like we had our plate full. Liens were there. 
first mortgage, which we found out later, was there. Um, he hadn't been paying his mortgage for years, as I said beforehand. So like that, those late fees and all of the other things that go along with not paying your mortgage just racking up. up. So we had $78,000 into this property that essentially would have been pixie dust because if that release from stay would have been filed by Janeway, which was the foreclosing attorney, if that release from stay was filed, the property would have gone to auction that next week. So literally it was about a year and a half. No, it was about two years actually from when the deal started to when it ended. And during that time frame, every single week, the property could have gone to auction. And if somebody was to have bought it with $78,000 less than we have into it, obviously, we would have been wiped away. So like literally we would have owned something that was worth nothing. It was pixie dust. We bought $78,000 of nothing was what the case was. And on top of that, if we wanted to make it something, we would have had to have bought out the first. We'd have had to wipe away five different liens, which is not cheap when you have that many years of problems on this borrower's side. I mean, it'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Lots of money and lots of problems on this deal. So what had happened was, is then that was that was our investment capital. My money was in there. Like I, by that time, I had enough money to be able to go in as a third partner. So how did you pivot? What was the solution here? Like how how did you pivot and, and get to the end game? Because I know you guys made some money. You made some return. Yeah. What did you do? Like how did you get it done? Okay. So, uh, so thankfully we had the borrower who was actually a very smart guy and he wanted to stay in that house. They had raised a family there. Him and his wife were there and they wanted to stay in this place. And we were willing to work with them because I mean, ultimately it was like, let's, let's, let's treat this gently. Like you guys help us, we'll help you and it'll be okay. You know, but there was, it was very, very uh, teeter tottery, you know? And uh, so what ended up happening was we were able to negotiate with all of the lien holders and we did payoffs on all of those liens. So we wiped away the liens. The first mortgage, um, it was a U.S. bank note that was serviced by Wells Fargo. We were able to work with the borrower to pay off that first lien at a, I would say, a small discount. And we essentially bought out the first, which made it to where we were no longer worried about losing that seventy-eight thousand. Because if we, if somebody else was to have bought that, bought that first, we would have been wiped away, as I said. So we would have nothing. So we ended up buying out the first, and that was like our, our breath of fresh air. No one else was going to wipe us out if it went to foreclosure next week. So we wiped that out. We wiped out the liens. Now we own the property free and clear. The next plan was working with this guy to make an amicable solution. Keep him in his house, make some money. We didn't do this for nothing. So what we did was, um, he, was he had filed bankruptcy. So there's two years, um, as you know, there's two years from when you file uh, bankruptcy to when you uh, can apply for a new loan. So we did a 24-month lease option. We kept him in there. Uh, we kind of you know, had this whole deal going on, you know, holding him by his collar because it's like, look, you defaulted on this bank, these banks, and these other people, these other lien holders, you defaulted on them. So like, there's something going on there. You know, like there's, we don't trust you a lot, but we trust you enough to give it a shot. So like we, we had this very teeter-tottery deal. You pay us this, in 24 months, we'll sell the house to you for this. That's what we did. So we bought out first, already on the second, wiped out the liens, refinanced, 
once we refinanced, then obviously we had kind of our investment money back. We were cash flowing off of the mortgage, EITI, uh, tenant was staying in place. Two years later, you know, he bought us out and we got about an 18% return on the investment, which was okay. And then, uh, but more importantly, um, we were able to keep him in place. He kept his house. Life went on. But, so, I mean, this, this is a, this is a ultimately a win-win. I mean, obviously like you as a new investor, <laughs> you, you went through your freshman, sophomore year of college yep. of, of learning a couple, couple lessons there. Yeah. Um, you and your investors, you guys made money, yep. both lease option. I mean, there's different ways to structure lease options. Some people, they want their, their, their people to default so they can keep their money. Yep. This is a great win for this gentleman and his family because he was able to, to pay it, keep the property, which is good for him and his family. Right. And he's got still money here. So that's great. And we got a few minutes left on here, but there's one thing I want to move on to okay. that I really want to dive into because I think this is just fascinating. Okay. And I could talk to you for hours about this, but... Um, yeah, me too for you. Um, is the soft developing because... You know, you have spent, I know, a lot of time and energy because yeah. this is the other way I learned about you. It's, hey, cool. There's the, the, you know, hey, I heard about the youngest guy that sold real estate. Heard about this guy that bought the, whatever, eighth position on a property. <laughs> um, and then someone that's, you know, starting a software company yeah. um, to battle the, you know, the, the big player in the industry local here that does all the transaction and contract management here in the Denver market. Yes, sir. And I mean, it's a, uh, it's very fascinating to me. Like, how do you get in the softer game? Because it's 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 hard. Yeah. Um, as you've told me before, this podcast, you know, no, you know, no experience in software. Right. And it's a very hard battle to to win that marketplace. So I'm fascinated by the story of your software of Egent. Like, so let's talk about that for a few minutes. Sure. Well, thank you for your interest in the story. I mean, it's definitely something that has been my life. So I appreciate you being interested in my life. Um, yeah, so about six years ago, close to six years ago, I started uh, a demolition company. The demolition company was started during the time that that investment that we just talked about kind of went a little bit south, right? It took a year and a half to like recoup our money from the refinance. And then six months later than that, so 24 months total, to actually call it done. So it held up our money. I was an 18 year old kid. I guess by that point, 19 with a real estate license, but like anybody outside of friends and family who doesn't trust you a lot probably is going to go with somebody twice your age or three times your age that has a lot more experience selling real estate than you for the same price. Right. So I was like, okay, my investment capital is tied up. We're during the middle of the school year, like the middle of the semester. I can't go to, can't go to school. And you know, no one's going to buy real estate with a 19 year old kid other than my family. So, okay. What am I going to do? So I thought to like, what is the worst thing like that, that I've had to do so far? And it was demo. It was really, it is not easy. HGTV makes it look e easy. We've been on HGTV a couple of times and you know, they made our work look easy and it's just not. Uh, so it, it sucked. And I was like, okay, I could probably start a business like selling something that sucks to people that don't want to do it. And that's what I did. So, but I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to do that forever. Cause one, it's a linear business. I mean, with the, with the model that I was running. Um, and two, I actually had back surgery at 19 because on my first real estate showing uh, at 18, I was rear-ended by a semi. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I had a back surgery at 19. So like, I was like, okay, physically can't do this forever. Like mentally, I want to do something more exponential. Like 
how do I do that? So I just began like the, the process of thinking about different things I could do. Then, you know, I came across eGen, which is a contract and transaction management software for Colorado. And uh, we're with plans for national expansion, but starting in Colorado. And, you know, I was a user of my, uh, of our competitor's platform. And I knew that there was room for improvement. Um, so that's an understatement. Thank you. I agree. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that was, that was like, okay, this is, this is the exponential way to build a business that I would rather do. Like I wouldn't ra- want to suck in dust for the rest yeah, of my yeah. life. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I did. I, I started, it took about, a, it took a, like almost a year actually to like go from this idea to meeting with like my attorneys. And I did everything like ass backwards, honestly. Like I, all of this stuff. I mean, how could you expect to know it all when you've never done it? Like I was pretty much like a high school education. Like I had done algebra like a year earlier, you know, and like, and then now I'm supposed to be like trying to like start a software company to take on like a monopoly. So like, obviously there's a lot of room of like new things that you got to learn. But I think one of the, one of the things that's helped me and hurt me in my life, but in this case helped me is that I just went for it. You know, I just went for it. I didn't really put a whole lot of thought. I was just like, I'm going, I'm doing it. So I met with like, you know, my attorneys, um, met with different developers. That whole process started. And then uh, about a year after that, I actually started building and it was a, it was a nightmare because I was taken advantage of by the first company that I hired to develop the system. Uh, well, I guess rewinding, I had two of my smartest friends from elementary and high school get together and try to build this version one. Turns out that it was like four months of like, okay, cool. Thanks guys for building this. It was fun. I need some people that know what the hell they're doing. So I went to five, six different development companies here in Denver, showed them what I was looking to build got bids just like you would do with any other type of like, you know, contract type work. And I found a company that told me X amount of dollars, X amount of time. They doubled the dollars and tripled the time. And they put me in a really tough position because like, I'm this kid who doesn't know anything about software or project management of software. They're like, shit, I can make a lot of money off of this guy because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And I'll just put maybe one or one guy part-time on this and then act like we're working on it. That's what they did to me. Um, and honestly, I'm not going to say they did to me. I'm going to say I did it to myself because yeah, like, yeah. I, I should have, before I invested a lot of money into something, you got to know a little bit about it. And that was one of the things that I didn't do. I mean, that's a lot of the things I've done. Uh, so something that you said that resonates with me, I think is a great point is like, you took responsibility for it. like you're like hey this happened to me mm-hmm. but ultimately rather than playing victim hey take advantage of me like you know what damn it <laughs> i should have known this better i should have done this i should have done this i should have done this like and that's the big difference i think in my mind because yeah. I've, I've been i've been there as well no and i'll doubt. be there again in the future you know like no doubt damn i should have done that but you took responsibility which is a key lesson for entrepreneurs and investors that's a great thing to hone on for people thank you yeah, it was hard for me to accept that. Like, honestly, I, I, I went through like a period of like rage. I'm like, excuse my, excuse my pat. But I was like, I was really <laughs> upset. Yeah, I know that messes with like the audience. You're good now. I just, <laughs> you're good, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it was so upsetting. It was so upsetting. I was so like enraged because I had I, literally everything that I had ever worked for. Like everything. Uh-huh. I, and I'd self-funded this, by the way. I didn't raise capital. 
I did this all myself because I believed in it so much. And I also wanted to preserve the equity because I knew that if I was going pitch to an investor on like taking on my competitor, they'd be like, all right, it's a big risk. Uh, you don't have a lot of experience. I want, they want some equity, a good chunk of equity, some, probably most of it. And like, I, 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 I took the path that I did. So I didn't have to be, uh, in that position of being under the gun, you know, I wanted to be under my own gun. And, um, and so I did that. And like, that comes along with the, the negative sides too, of like having to bite your own bullets. So, yeah, I would say that that was a really, uh, upsetting thing during that same time I was working a deal with like a very big organization, digital, uh, real estate organization here in, in Denver and Colorado. And they were like, basically ready to rock. But I wasn't able to match like my intentions and my motivations for the software with like our development situation, because again, it was totally out of my control and they were taking advantage of me, um, which I was the one that was able to be taken advantage of, which I shouldn't have done my fault that I let them take advantage of me, but I did. So that happened. And then, uh, and then I was like, okay, I I'm working out this big deal. If I want to keep this deal going, I need to go and find somebody that can actually build this who's reputable. So I went to a, a big a big name here in town, uh, who I'm very good friends with, the, the founder and CEO, who's really, they've been recently acquired, but before this, they were still all in-house. Very expensive development company. And I was like, okay, if we're going to make this happen, and like I want to make this deal that I'm working out right now happen, I'm going to need like the greatest developers out there. So I went to them. Three weeks later, I spent a lot of money, and I was like, all right, if I'm going to self-fund this, I think I'm going to have to do a different way. And I'm not going to work with the first company. I'm not going to obviously be able to afford these guys. What's, what's something I can do? So I went back with my hat in my hand to the first developer. And I'm like, look, like I'm a pretty, pretty peaceful guy. I have no intentions of wanting to like cause conflict. But I was like, look, you know what you did to me. And like, I'm either going to sue you or you're going to help me get this deal done because like, this is my life. Like this is, I put everything in it. I've lived my parents' basement or like my mom. And then also my dad's basement to, and like when I had money, I could have bought a house. I was pre-approved for a house at 20 and I decided to hang on to all the cash that I had and all my credit and all of everything else I had put it all into software. And these guys like literally stripped it away for, from me. And I was like, you either help me out or like, this is going to be an issue that I have to like find resolution for. So they got me in touch with an Indian development uh, team who I had flown out to India. And, um, and I had spent about a month and a half in India just getting to know my new team out there. Since we have, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap up the story of the software, but since then uh, we have kind of moved our development from there uh, to fully in-house. I've got a, a CTO now who is a very smart guy. He's had 20, almost as much time as I've been alive. He's had experience developing software. He knows our current framework. He knows our languages. He knows kind of where we want to take the product. And he also has experience as a, as an agent, uh, selling real estate in Colorado. So it's all kind of like the full shebang, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean, for, for lack of time, it was a, uh, it was a huge, undertaking that went south in almost every way that it could have went south. Uh, but you know, pers persistence, um, vision, planning and execution again, before when I started, it was a lot of vision, 
uh, a lot of execution, but not as much planning. So if my recommendation for any viewers, I mean, for, for, uh, for the best advice that I could give for anybody wanting to like, you know, build something from the ground up or know what it takes to do that, I, I would say like, start with like the picture in your mind write that picture down very descriptively as, de as descriptively as you can. And sometimes that's the hardest part is like actually being able to be in a, a mindset where you can visualize because there's so many outside forces in our lives and stresses and attention grabbers and Instagrams. I mean, all these things that can grab at your mental bandwidth. And uh, if you can spend that mental bandwidth towards your future, envisioning your future, writing it down and then coming up with a plan for how to achieve that and then actual execution that's my best advice because if you have a little bit of uh this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this like it'll get you to somewhere but if you have a lot of this and a lot of this but none of this it'll it'll get you a lot of problems so th those are great takeaways and i would i know we'll put a link in the show notes to egent but for agents and brokers out there i mean definitely check it out because you. you guys can there's really good potential to shake up the industry out there you know with the three-letter software out here that that dominates the the marketplace so i'm a cheerleader for you guys thank you i like competition yeah. i like you thank you so pete listeners out there not so much for, you know, buyers and sellers, but for more agents and people that are in the transaction. Right. Know this guy, Zach. Know a software agent because, like, there's great potential there. And let's throw him some momentum and just add a little more gasoline to the fire here. Thank you. So, Zach, this has been great. I love your story. I love you being just very frank and honest with, hey, you, you've had lots of ups. You've had some downs. You've had some black eyes, all this stuff. <laughs> and we'll put links. I know you got a few different websites, social media handles. But what's the one best way for people to get in touch with you? for a simple call to action? Um, good question. So they can check out uh, any of our, any of the company websites. And um, from there, there will, there will be a way to-, to get Oh, give me one simple call to action here. Call to action. Yeah. Um, you got know, a lot going on. Like you're, you're growing different businesses. I think software is what you're saying. Like I think you're putting most funds, but like what's the call to action you want our listeners to take away? Sure. Um, well, I would say, I would say if there's, uh, if there's people out there, I'm sure people are going to be in different parts of their lives. Um, looking to do diff different things. So, you know, I would say a call to action that would benefit me is, hey, check out our software. But I would say a call to action that would benefit other people is uh, evaluate, you know, if you're, if you're happy, you know, if you're happy, then keep doing what you're doing. If you're not happy, then uh, get to a place like sometimes it actually takes like driving physically or walking or however it takes. Go to a physical place that makes you feel doesn't need to feel good. Doesn't need to feel, just just makes you feel. Um, go to a place, close your eyes, and picture like what what you what you want to how you want to live, like what your life would look like. And again, like it's not like a one size fits all because there could be people that are listening right now that have totally different intentions for what they want to do in their lives. Uh, and they're and you know that's and that's cool. But I would just say if you're happy, keep doing what you're doing. If you're not. I mean, you got to fix that because it's not fun to live unhappy. I've lived unhappy uh, in, in my past too, because I've dealt with a lot of problems, you know, and I stuck, I mean, these, this 30, 45 minute podcast, you can talk about a lot of problems, but like, these are years of, of issues and like days that you wake up and that's your, that's what you're thinking about. And like that and problems, you know, generally can make you unhappy. And like, if you have a lot of problems, you can be really unhappy. And I've been there. 
So, like, take away the money aspect. You got to stay alive, obviously. You got to feed your kids if you have kids. You got to feed yourself. Uh, but make sure you're happy. Um, if you are not, build a vision. And if it's really hard for you to visualize, you got to physically go somewhere that makes you feel. Close your eyes. Maybe watch movies. Like, watch your favorite movie. And, like, if you want to live like the person, like the, the main character or whatever, like, visualize that being you. Write it down. Kind of break that down into, like, a, a plan. And that plan should be, like, you know, X amount of steps. But then in all of those X amount of steps, there's, like, a hundred tasks for each step. Mm-hmm. So you got to move your your long-term goals and you got to break them down into, like, you know, annual uh quarterly monthly weekly daily hourly tasks so if you're happy keep going if you're not build a vision build a plan break that plan down into what you need to do right now and what you need to do in 10 minutes what you need to do in an hour execute and then you will eventually live the life that you want to live if you're not already i love it my my advice so vision plan execution yeah well said zach this has been a pleasure man look forward to following your journey over the next you know years and decades thank you and just kind of get in touch you know and i recommend everyone out there who's listening if you're a young investor trying to figure out how to get your get your way in the world talk with zach he's you know can give you some great advice if you're an agent or a broker out there talk with zach about the software as well because there's some really cool potential there yeah to shake up the industry so zach Thanks so much, my man.